Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm R.N. Raw, and I took a left at the valley with Kevin and Karen. Welcome back to another episode of Left of the Valley with Kevin and Karen, a show dedicated to positive atheism, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism. Hello, Karen. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good, good. And uh, we got some guests in our studio again with us. Well, no, we got guests all the time now. Yeah, it's so wonderful to have you here. We Are you going to interview us again? <laughs> no, that's, that's why I'm looking at you to do that. Well, we have with us Nancy and uh, from F- Fraser Valley Atheist Skeptics and Humanists. Welcome, Nancy, and we also have Mark Cunningham, uh, who has been here before. He's also part of FB Ash, but he's also did a great episode with us um, regarding raising children in a secular manner. Yeah, Nancy did an episode with us regarding the homeless situation. That's right. That's actually, I don't think I was here for that, but um, I remember that it happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah thanks, guys. Well, it's good yeah, to be here. Welcome. That's right. Thank you for having me back. Yes, and uh, you guys are now part of the team, and you'll be uh, permanent fixtures of this team. Uh, we own you. <laughs> and there's no escape. <laughs> there's no escape. <laughs> well, we've got an interesting show for you guys here today. Uh, we actually have, uh, later on, we have Wanda Morris of the Dying with Dignity uh, Society. Uh, we'll be doing an interview with her. Um, I guess you want to do a brief synopsis on that? Uh, well, Dying with Dignity is a Canadian organization that um, works to alleviate end-of-life suffering for people who have chronic uh, illnesses who are approaching death, and rather than um, let them die a slow, horrible death, as some of these illnesses would cause, you can. They are trying to make it legal in Canada to have assisted dying, so that you can get a prescription from your doctor, or your doctor can give you an injection or whatever, so that you can die with dignity, with peace, without pain, with your family around you, which is currently illegal all across Canada, but is legal in other jurisdictions around the world. Hmm. And on top of that, we have the Mark that comes in with his list of books he'd like to recommend. You'll be going to that later, although we have you pre-recorded, but that's okay. And we also have a Reformation report from our correspondent in Chilliwack. But right now, Nancy, I guess we'll go with you. It's this day in history for you. All righty. This day in history is a roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated January 5th to January 18th in science, politics, popular culture, and religion. We acknowledge and remember. Starting out with January the 5th, it was National Bird Day in the States. Who knew? Um, The interesting thing about the date in 1896, going back fairly far, was that a German newspaper announced William Renchen's discovery of x-rays and their potential for new methods of medical diagnosis, and this was on the front page article. I went into a little detail because I want you to keep that in mind because when we come to the big story of January the 12th, that becomes very important. Okay, log it on back in your mind. In 1982, 
this is really interesting for atheism. An Arkansas judge ruled against obligatory teaching of creation. That was the McLean versus Arkansas Board of Education. Arkansas didn't repeal, and in 1987, the Supreme Court ruled that was it was applicable on a national basis. Science won, creation zip. Ha ha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, January 6th is Little Christmas in Ireland. The best event of this day in 1918, this is a great story. Canadian Captain Jay Headley of the Royal Flying Corps was sucked from his seat and out of the plane while diving to escape German fighters. Now, it's really unclear whether he grabbed onto the plane or the slipstream pulled him back into the plane when it leveled out. But either way, when he retired from the Corps, he capitalized on being the luckiest man alive until the end of his natural life. Isn't that a great story? That's an understatement. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a happy flying coincidence. Um, January 6th was also the day that Superman debuted in 1939. It's a bird. It's a plane. <laughs> it's, it's Super Guy, whatever he is. In <laughs> whatever he is. Whatever he was, he was wow. there. Uh, January 6th, 7th. I'm still on the Superman m- mode here. January 7th was Distaff Day in medieval Europe, and that signified the end of the holidays and a return to spinning wool for women. So I'm sure they weren't particularly thrilled (laughs) when the day came along. And anyway, while the women folk were spinning on the drop spindle... They were pretty sheepish about it. Absolutely. Galileo, one of our favorite guys in science, was watching the spinning objects in the sky, and in 1610, sighted Four of Jupiter's moons, which are now named Lo, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto. So, big, big day for the universe on January the 7th. Cool. Let's move on to January the 8th, which is Commonwealth Day in the Northern Mariana Islands. The most interesting bit of news on this day comes from 1981, when a local farmer in France reported a UFO sighting. This claimed to be the most completely and carefully documented sighting of all time, thus perpetuating the notion to UFO believers that, we need a little music here, Kevin, the truth is out there. <laughs> I'm still playing the same history music. <laughs> I can't switch. Yeah. Take in, me to your leader. In 1992, Michael Martin, and he wasn't an author that's familiar to me, published his book, Atheism, a Philosophical Justification, and he published it in paperback. There are 541 pages and still in print if anyone wants to add it to their collection. Moving on to January the 9th, it's Martyr's Day in Panama, but it is definitely Hockey Day in Canada. In 1998, Hockey News selected Wayne Gretzky, best hockey player ever. Yay, Wayne! Yay! The great one. Yeah, and and just this month, the Canadian Museum of History was proud to announce that it has acquired the world's oldest known ice hockey stick. It even has a name, known as the Moffat Stick. It was hand-hewn in the 1830s in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, from a single piece of sugar maple. 
So there's your hockey fix oh. for one day. <laughs> Can't do a Canadian show without a hockey fix. Yeah. Moving on to January the 10th, it's traditional day in Benin. The most important event of this day happened in 1920 when the Versailles Peace Treaty and League of Nations Covenant came into force, and it's important because Canada was one of the 42 founding nations. Good for us. January 11th, International Thank You Day, which I guess is made for Canadians. But anyway, it's also <laughs> no, notable. No, it'd be International I'm Sorry Day yeah, for Canadians. Yeah, maybe that's the day following. <laughs> At any way, it's also notable as the birthday of John McDonald, our first Prime Minister of Canada. So happy birthday to you, sir. January 12th, National Youth Day in India, and Tim Horton's birthday. So let's all raise a nice cup of brood to good Tim. <laughs> okay, so now, remember the x-ray story on January the 6th, if you have a pretty good short-term memory? You're supposed to tuck that away until we reach the 12th. Okay, here's why you did that. In 1896, six days after this story was published in the German newspaper, three Davidson College physics students, and that's in North Carolina, had an instructor whose name was Henry Lewis Smith. And at Davidson, as it turns out, even though these were physics students, they had all the equipment necessary to deal with x-rays. So these three students were the first um, ones to actually take an x-ray photograph in the U.S. They did it as a prank, and they didn't even realize they were making history. So here's the story. On the evening of January the 12th, one week after the announcement of Renchen's discovery, they bribed a janitor and snuck into the physics library carrying with them a cadaver's fingers <laughs> and other strange <laughs> items that they bought that they borrowed. And they didn't even realize they were about to make history, but they spent three hours exposing the objects to the X-ray, producing what is thought to be the first um, X-ray photograph produced in, in America. Even their instructor was behind them in producing a photograph. So the the story I like I like the story for a couple reasons. That's a great lesson for kids. You know, you can always pull a prank and make history. Th that's exactly it. It shows that even student pranks can result in something good. Also, physics students aren't always serious geeks, and sometimes history can be made by happenstance rather than planned procedures. So that's good stuff. Also on this day. Dr. James Bedford, who we never heard of, but you will in a minute, became the first person to be cryonically preserved with intent of future resuscitation, and he's still being preserved in his frozen state today. He was a psychology professor, and he died of kidney cancer, so no one would have heard of him except that he was preserved in hopes that he could be revived. So it's sort of like a Star Trek episode, and actually, um, the uh, one of the Star Trek episodes in 1988 called The Next Generation, where the Enterprise finds three people frozen in an orbital cryopod from the late 20th century, but in suspended animation. That was the plot, and it was based on uh, good old Dr. Bedford. So where is he today? Well, the process of freezing him um, began a few hours after his death, and then they finally sent him to Scottsdale, Arizona, to the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, 
where he and 117 other patients reside there in a scene that must look like something out of Star Trek. (laughs) So they're just there still? Mm -hmm. They're still there. People are still being frozen today. And do they decompose at all? So, like, if the technology arrives in 50 years that they can be unfrozen, are they going to be, like, zombies? <laughs> are they going to actually be able to, like... Frozen zombies. Well, that's that's the big question, because with Dr. Bedford, as well as some of the others, they injected DMSO into yeah. their brains, which arguably I don't know destroyed what that is. them. It's a, it's a hormone that is used for... Other things that I didn't research well enough <laughs> okay. to answer so your it's question. So it's something that could destroy their brains. It, it could. It could destroy their brains. So even though the cryonics people, you know, continue to freeze patients <laughs> in hopes that they can, you know, miraculously resurrect them, the question is, you know, are they, you know, in, in what shape are they yeah, going to be? And yeah. it's like, do we care? I, I mean, obviously the people who are being frozen care, but... What are they going to be? It's just be a, a molten, messy yeah. mass somewhere? I can see them being able to unfreeze them in the future, but not bring them back to life. Yeah. I cannot see us getting yeah, the technology yeah. for well, that. Uh, well, yeah. if, if, the, if the synapses are, are not damaged, if uh, everything is just needs circulation, then why not? Yeah. If, if there's no decomposition so far and there's no breakdown of the, the brain matter, why couldn't they? But it's a matter of what cells would be functioning and which ones would be frozen, you know. And what is the process of unfreezing them actually going to do to them? Is it going to to destroy their synapses so that they can no longer... Yeah, well, worst case scenario, I guess, Walt Disney could buy the rights and make Frozen 2 with that. Yeah, it's a fascinating... Oh, dear... It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating topic, really, and and maybe one to pursue in a... Yeah, it's interesting... Yeah. Okay. Okie dokie. Moving on to uh, January the 13th. It was Democracy Day in Cape Verde. And here's a goodie. 1929, a humanist society was established in Hollywood, California. And it may even be there today. That'd be fun to follow, to, uh, to follow through. Um, let's see. Wyatt Earp. Died on this day today. We all know Wyatt Earp, the mm-hmm. famous for the shootout at the OK Corral. It was only OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on. i got to give that. <laughs> <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Oh, there it is. OK. Oh, no. Oh, oh, January 15th. <laughs> it's Sorry, you didn't rate, Mark. Wow. <laughs> I, oh, I just, you just got the symbol. Wow. <laughs> OK, January the 15th, uh, Korean Alphabet Day. Um, but in 2001, and this is really important for all of us, especially me sitting here and reading all of this, Wikipedia, the content encyclopedia, went online and immediately became the favorite reference for everything, whether the facts are true or not. <laughs> Without Wikipedia, this program would not be brought to you today. <laughs> I still use Wikipedia as rarely as possible. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, and a more important note, January the 15th was the actual birthday of Martin Luther King, even though they celebrate his, his uh, Martin Luther King at different days depending on, on the year. Alrighty, January 17th was the National Day in Menorca. And a happy belated birthday to Betty White and Michelle Obama. 
two really fine ladies. Um, in they, they, they caught Betty White with a flash mob. <laughs> there's, there's a video online. It's it's fantastic. They're just they're just driving her around a little golf cart, and they all of a sudden there's a flash mob. But happy birthday, and she's crying. And it's uh, fantastic. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, back in seventy three. Yeah, back in seventeen seventy three, shortly before Betty White was born. <laughs> oh. Captain, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Captain James Cook became the first to cross the Antarctic Circle. And in 1929, this is a goodie, Edwin Hubble communicated the now classic paper that first showed that the universe was expanding and later provided observational evidence for the Big Bang Theory. Hmm. All righty. Coming to the last day, which is today, January the 18th, Revolution Day in Tunisia. This is fun. This really is fun. This is a relatively quiet day in history if you want to overlook the fact that Dr. William Price tried to cremate his infant son, Jesus Christ Price, in Wales. So, <laughs> overlooking that. <laughs> so many questions. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Pay no attention to that. <laughs> he was he was a wild character in Wales. He, he went around wearing uh, flowing druid robes and foxtail scarves, and he was responsible for cremation actually being um, okayed in, in Britain. But anyway. So I'm sorry. So he's trying to burn his infant son, and someone came and like put it out. <laughs> they, they, they put it out, but now when he died, it was legal. So they actually had this huge funeral pyre, and about 1,500 people came to watch him go up in a in a blaze of glory. He was he was brilliant, but totally insane. But <laughs> even so, they recognized the fact that cremation could be could be legal and, and sanctioned in Britain. So wow, I didn't even... Brilliant but insane. Sounds like me, yeah. except for the brilliant part. <laughs> <laughs> Any, if anybody would like to look him up as Dr. William Price, I suggest that you do so oh, because he's really one of the yeah. odd, unusual, and bizarre characters in history. So, uh, moving on to something a little sweeter than that. You can't top that, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So let's go to something bubbly because today um, celebrates something so iconically Canadian but so common that we don't even think about it anymore, and that is the day that Canada Dry Ginger Ale was patented by John J. McLaughlin in 1905. And a bit of trivia, the original label had a beaver sitting atop the map of Canada. I remember that label. Do you really? I absolutely oh, well. do. Yeah, not that long ago. So before <laughs> we say farewell to the 18th, let's wish happy birthday to Mark Messier. Yay, you got lots of hockey in there. Awesome stuff. Absolutely. And that dear listeners and cast and crew brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you <laughs> so much. All right, guys, we'll be right back right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. 
We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. Mark. Yes, Mark. How are we today? Good, thanks, Kevin. And how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, apparently you made a list. I did. And Karen wanted to ask you all about it. Because while she's doing that, I can find... Just keep the conversation going. i got to find the file. It looks all loaded up. Again, professionalism. I yeah. know. We're so professional in here. You can tell. <laughs> Have you read any of those books on the list? I couldn't tell what he was indicating to you over that, you know, he's like making weird gestures. I never know, know what, what he they were. So anyway. This is why I drink, people. This is why I drink. <laughs> um, your list was awesome, and I, I had not read many of them. I think I'd read a couple. Okay. Um, yeah, it's certainly you? worth checking out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I have a stack that I'm slowly working my way through, but I, you know, so many books, so many books, time. exactly, so many For sure. books. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to to using that as a basis for my atheist reading. Excellent, Nancy um, turned me on to the Ingersoll one. Hmm. Very good. You're a fan of Ingersoll, Nancy, yeah? Mm-hmm. And you have Bertram Russell on there, no? I do, yeah. yeah. No, I have the cop. I have the uh, the first edition of uh, Ingersoll, and I also have the rebuttal, which was done by uh, some of the theists at the time. So I have I have the set, and I just love I just hmm. love the set. Really oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So so this is essentially a list that you made about books you'd like to recommend for the free thinker, right? For sure. Yeah, because you guys don't know, as Mark was supposed to take over this. Uh, Things that make you go hmm segment, but you say, you know what? I don't, I don't care what Kevin says. I'm just gonna do my thing. So he decided and to I do this and say, "You can't control me." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot so control the British. I love Mark's list. They're so very informative. So here's Mark's list. Uh, runs about what seven, eight minutes long? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. Okay, let's play that. Oh well, Today, we'll still keep the. Cut. I'd like to share a few of the no, books on my journey from non-practicing Christian to atheist. I'm sure many of you will have read some of the books on this list, and also have your own favourites. If there are any books you'd like to recommend, visit us at leftofthevalley.com and let us know. We'd love to check them out. The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark by Carl Sagan. Carl Sagan argues that scientific thinking is critical not only to the pursuit of truth but to the very well-being of our democratic institutions. Casting a wide net through history and culture, Sagan examines and debunks such celebrated fallacies of the past as witchcraft, faith healing, demons and UFOs, and yet, disturbingly, in today's so-called information age, pseudoscience is burgeoning with stories of alien abduction, channeling past lives and communal hallucinations commanding growing attention and respect. As Sagan demonstrates with lucid eloquence, the siren song of unreason is not just a cultural wrong turn, but a dangerous plunge into darkness that threatens our most basic freedoms. Why I'm Not a Christian and other essays on religion and related subjects by Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell was always concerned with the basic questions to which religion also addresses itself. Question about man's place in the universe and the nature of the good life. Questions that involve life after death, morality, freedom, education and sexual ethics. He brings to his treatment of these questions the same courage, logic and wisdom for which his other works as philosopher, writer and teacher made him famous. God, The Foul Hypothesis by Victor Stenger. In this book, Stenger argues that there is no evidence for the existence of a deity, 
I believe that religion often makes claims that are very much within the abilities of science to investigate. In that vein, he said that science practices mythological naturalism. Although it does not rule out the supernatural, science does restrict itself to testing that which can actually be tested, namely effects in the natural world, be they cause natural or supernatural. Stenger believed we have more than enough evidence of absence of the judo-christian god he adds that many arguments for god that were once compelling are now weak or irrelevant in the light of modern scientific understanding losing faith in faith from preacher to atheist by dan barker this book records dan barker's dramatic journey from devout soul winner to one of america's most prominent free thinkers after 19 years of preaching following his calling at the age of 15 including work as a missionary, ordained minister, associate pastor, touring evangelist, Christian songwriter and performer, Dan Barker lost his faith in faith. Barker explains why he left the ministry. He also offers a definitive, compelling analysis of why he rejects belief in God and the claims of religion. He explores the fallacies, inconsistencies and harm of Christian doctrine and theistic dogma. In its place, he issues an appealing, compassionate, in a vocation of free thought, reason and humanism. God is not great. How Religion Poisons Everything by Christopher Hitchens. In the book, Hitchens contends that organised religion is violent, irrational, intolerant, allied to racism, tribalism and bigotry. It's invested in ignorance and hostile to free inquiry, contemptuous of women and coercive towards children. Hitchens supports his position with a mixture of personal stories, documented historical anecdotes, and critical analysis of religious texts. His commentary focuses mainly on the Abrahamic religions, although it also touches on other religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism. Breaking the Spell Religion as a Natural Phenomenon by Daniel Dennett. Dennett argues that religion is in need of scientific analysis so that its nature and future may be better understood. The spell that requires breaking is not religious belief itself, but the belief that it is off limits to or beyond scientific inquiry. Weaving together, it further argues that religion first emerged not as divine gift, but rather temptation for enhancing the reproductive success of the species. Atheist Universe The Thinking Person's Answer to Christian Fundamentalism by David Mills. Clear, concise, and persuasive. This book details exactly why God is unnecessary to explain the universe and life's diversity, organisation and beauty. Atheist Universe presents its scientific evidence in simple lay terms, making it a richly entertaining and easy-to-read introduction to atheism. It also answers ethical issues such as, what is the meaning of life without God? The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Professor Dawkins may be getting somewhat of a bad reputation lately with some of his comments, but that doesn't make this book any less relevant. Dawkins turns his considerable intellect on religion, denouncing its faulty logic and the suffering it causes. He critiques God in all his forms, from the sex-obsessed tyrant of the Old Testament to the more benign, but still illogical, celestial watchmaker, favoured by some Enlightenment thinkers. He shows how religion fuels wars, foments bigotry and abuses children, buttressing his points with historical and contemporary evidence. In so doing, he makes a compelling case 
that belief in God is not just irrational, but potentially deadly. Dawkins has fashioned an impassioned, rigorous rebuttal to religion. Some Mistakes of Moses by Robert G. Ingersoll Ingersoll was widely known as the greatest orator of his time and could soundly thrash any challenger in a debate, especially in a debate on religion. This book covers the Old Testament, worshipped and revered by Jews and Christians alike, which supports things like slavery, warfare, polygamy, and the idea that women should be treated as as property. He asks many pointed questions. For example, if you find slavery upheld in a book said to have been written by God, what would you expect to find in a book inspired by the devil? Also, why would God tell me how to raise my children when he had to drown his own in the flood? He also presents an interview of two men at the gates of heaven, one an honest, loving family man, the other a despicable, thieving businessman. Based on their beliefs, guess who gets into heaven and who goes to hell? This book will truly make you think. It is meant to demonstrate how religion can control and affect our lives in ways that are quite contrary to our own moral fibre, modern, logical reasoning and ethical conscience. And lastly, the one book I'd recommend for anyone looking to make the transition to atheist is the best-selling book of all time, The Bible. Read logically, you can only finish with one conclusion. It's nothing but a work of fiction. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and remember, stay sceptical. Oh, jeez. So we're back. Thanks, Mark, for that uh, entertaining yes. You're welcome. Yeah, we're gonna quite the research, I guess. So, did you actually read all these books, or you just no? I've read them all. Oh, good. Yeah, I've only picked the ones I've read. You can read. I can. Oh wow! My wife reads them to me. Okay. <laughs> Is it a pop-up? <laughs> I need that. <laughs> I guess it's a good. <laughs> I guess it's a good time to, to mention that um, uh, we have some great guests coming at that, uh, an event coming in the beginning of June. Imagine No Religion Five. Yeah. Sure. Being it's formerly held in Kamloops, but this year it's being held in Richmond. Yeah, I understand Dawkins is going to be there. Lawrence yes, Chaos. Richard Dawkins is going to be there. Um, also, Carolyn Porco, who uh, is a, works at NASA. Um, yeah, I believe she's the keynote speaker this year. She's really great. I've heard her speak before, and she's very articulate and just a, a very intelligent, awe-inspiring woman. Excellent. And yes. we have the uh, Unholy Trinity. Trinity. Yes. Matt Dillahunty. Yes. On Raw, which we actually had a show with uh, just two shows ago. Yep. And Seth. And Seth Andrews, Andrews yes. And uh, Peter Bergoglian, our friend Peter Bergoglian, is going to be there as well. A whole bunch of things. And we also have the BC Humanists are doing something. I'm trying to find the information. Did you guys find it? No, Not I haven't. Know. But um, just to say, if you wanted to uh, attend Imagine No Religion, you, they have a website. It's ImagineNoReligion.ca Yeah, that's what I thought it was. I was just checking. ImagineNoReligion.ca They have ticket information. And I believe you get a discount. Actually, you did last year if you're a member of the BC Humanist Association. I'm not sure if that happens this year or not. But they, if you check out their awesome website, they will also have information posted there. Okay. Here, I found it here. Uh, so the uh, BC Humanists are putting on a show uh, where they have uh, Hemet Meta and uh, Armin Navabi. I hope I said that right. Oh. Um, it's a $15 event, $15 the admission, and it's at uh, Langara College, room A122A. And what's the date on that? I'm trying to find that. <laughs> Saturday, oh, the 20th of March. 20th of March. From 3 to 5. 
sort of our preparation. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully we can go there ourselves and give him a bit of an interview with Hammond. That'd be great. Hammond Menta is a... I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he is a really entertaining and engaging speaker. Yeah, I really sure enjoy him. Attendant. Yeah, he's, he's known as the friendly atheist, too. So, while I set up our uh, Reformation report, you guys are going to occupy the air and just keep talking there. Don't mind me, I'm doing something else. <laughs> right. So, Karen, this dying with dignity section, what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, I, I personally support them 100%. I think that... I think it's a, a strange thing in a in our society. We consider ourselves advanced, but at the end of life, we um, you know we let people suffer horribly, and we don't offer them any relief for that. I would yeah, I would quite agree. I guess the argument could be that I guess someone could kill someone else. Yeah. And, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was going to say kill someone else and then say that's what they wanted. But, yes, and that is something that they have yes, taken yes, into effect in countries where they've enacted this legislation, and there are actually huge safeguards so that that can't happen. That you have to express your wishes in advance of you being um, debilitated, and you have to express them to your doctor. You have to write them down. Um, there, there are many safeguards, and uh, and the doctor. And it's not just anyone who says, well, you know, when I'm old, I want to die. It's not like that. You have to have an illness. You have to have, uh, you know, that your life is already ending. Yeah. And so, actually, um, when I heard Wanda Morris speak uh, at a BC Humanist event, um, she was saying that in countries where this legislation has been enacted, they actually found that because in, in those countries, doctors would, if they felt a patient was suffering and, and wanted to end their lives, they would give them like an overdose of morphine or something to help okay. them along. But they found that when people were actually, the, the legislation was enacted and people had to expressly write down what it was that they wanted the end of their life to look like, that the number of people who died went down. Really? It did not increase at all. Okay. And I think... Um, I think we just don't talk about it enough in our society. I think death is still a taboo subject, and I think that this is something that people should talk about and, yeah. and look at, at how they want their, their lives to end. And I think it's just a really healthy thing to, to be having that conversation. For sure it is. Well, I've got a bit of a personal story on that. Um, uh, this year, my, fa- my father passed away. Uh, he passed away of uh, pancreatic cancer. And it was very sudden. Uh, of course, he was a stubborn old fool and never wanted to see the doctor. It's only when he lost 50 pounds. And finally, we persuaded him, you know, go see the doctor. And then they basically told him, you got about three months to live. He lasted one month. Um, although he showed incredible courage and in not showing any pain, although they say pancreatic cancer is really, really terrible. But I was there the last day when they took him to the hospital. And um, it was one of those moments where I could see him suffering because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't really conscious the whole time. So, uh, so you couldn't be on guard, right? You couldn't present a brave face because you basically didn't have control at that point. Uh, and I found myself taking the doctor aside and saying to him, "Listen, doc, um, <laughs> I'm putting myself out there by saying that, but uh, I basically told him, said, look, um, I know this is maybe an unethical question, but can you do something to make it happen?' Yeah. And uh, doctors couldn't really do that. He had to, of course, you know." protect his professional integrity and stuff like that, and it, it's a law that hasn't quite passed in Canada, although it has passed in Quebec now, sort of, right. But we'll get into that with Wanda Morris. But it was interesting to find yourself in that situation where you're almost asking the doctor to kill, essentially, your, your, the person you know, to end their suffering. So, uh, it's a very complex situation, anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure it is. So I guess now we'll go into our correspondent from Chilliwack, 
uh, or with his uh, Reformation report, the news that's been going on around here. As soon as it plays. <laughs> there we go. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Chilliwack Reformation Report, brought to you by me, the Reformed, and the First United Congregation of New Atheism. Okay, for starters, a controversial toxic waste recycling plant is coming to Chilliwack. That's right, a controversial hazardous waste recycling facility, which will be built near the Fraser River in Chilliwack, is one step closer to reality as City Council approved the issuance of a development permit last week. The proposal involves the construction of an 1,890 square meter building with the M6 zone proportion of the property to be used exclusively for recycling uh, and transfer of waste. Avedis, the company responsible, have said that the plant will recycle, among other things, 5,000 liters of transformer oil containing PCBs and 500,000 lamps containing mercury each month. A coalition of more than 20 organizations has opposed the project for more than a year, arguing that it's too close to the largest salmon-bearing river in the world. City's design review panel reviewed the application and recommended the following two conditions prior to council approving the development. One, that all the utilities and equipment are screened from view, so it looks pretty. And two, that the applicant be encouraged to build a bicycle storage area for employment. No recommendations given out about any ramifications of a toxic waste spill and what the company will do should that happen. And as you may have guessed, the company agreed to both the suggestions. A council meeting, a councillor, Jason Lum, asked if the company would be required to apply for an air discharge permit from the Ministry of the Environment. And if so, would the public have a chance to comment? The reason why he asked this is because Environment Canada National Pollutant Release Inventory data for this company in Ontario and Alberta showed that small air emissions of mercury, lead and organic solvents have been released into the atmosphere. In fact, the Ontario uh, plant released 0.642 kilograms of mercury into the air in 2013. The Ministry for the Environment still has to give final approval for the facility, and in December, the BC Supreme Court rejected an argument made by the coalition that there were flaws in the City of Chilliwack's rezoning process. Watch this space. Okay, BC Judge agrees to hear several petitions against the proposed Christian Law School. This was published in the Globe and Mail on January 5th, 2015. A legal battle over the proposed law school at the largest publicly funded, privately funded, sorry, Christian University in Canada could be tied up in court for years. Uh, a leading criminal and civil rights lawyer, Clayton Ruby, who is representing an openly gay Christian man who objects to Trinity Western University's plans to open a law school as he feels it would be discriminatory, told the Supreme Court of British Columbia on Monday that the debate about religious freedoms and same-sex equality rights will not be resolved easily or quickly. Addressing the court, Mr. Ruby urged Chief Justice Christopher Hinkinson to consolidate several petitions and applications that are before the court rather than hearing them separately. All the issues need to be heard together, he stated, 
it's not a public interest not for a public interest for this important question to be put through the bureaucratic process. Chief Justin Hinkinson agreed to hear several issues over two days. However, he said that the issue raised by Mr. Loke, who is the the, uh, the uh, client for Mr. Ruby, stated that he may be premature because the proposed law school doesn't actually have any students and therefore none have been obliged to sign the covenant. Mr. Ruby responded that if we end up putting all those kind of kid, all those kids at risk of getting degrees that aren't accredited, it's not a good thing. All right, let's see what's next. Chromosomal screening boosts chances of IVF will succeed. All right, so here we have Vancouver Sun. Now, this was published in December of 20th, 2014, and even though it's not current news, I wanted to kind of talk about it, be or at least make you aware of it, because I think it's really important. Uh, the, story, the, the, the article describes um, a couple, Krista and Chris, who after eight years of trying to get pregnant with no success, they turned to science. Um, they used the in vitro fertilization, or IVF, because they were having difficulties conceiving. And after a battery of tests, um, they discovered that Chris had a chromosomal anomaly that meant most of the eggs he fertilized wouldn't thrive. So the couple turned to an extremely expensive but successful program known as Comprehensive Chromosomal Screening, or CTS, which is also called pre-implantation genetic screening. This technique, which has been used in several Vancouver fertility clinics for about a year, involves removing one or two cells from the outer edge of a five or six day old embryo, which can have hundreds of cells, and sending them to the U.S. for testing. The results show which embryos have a normal number of chromosomes. These embryos are more likely to develop into healthy fetuses, since chromosomal abnormalities are the most common cause of miscarriage. Now, supporters of CCS say that it can increase the chance of a successful pregnancy um, in women who have a high risk of miscarriage uh, because only the viable embryos will be chosen for transplant into the womb. It could also help convince women to only implant one embryo during each attempt rather than two or more. Now, this is where the controversy comes in. Religious opponents to IVF say that CCS puts God's work into the hands of man, creating life when not all women are meant to have children and toying with the sanctity of human life by rejecting embryos deemed flawed. One woman who the Vancouver Sun spoke to reported that had it not been for CCS, she would not have been able to conceive or carry to term. She now has a happy-go-lucky toddler. However, she kept her CCS process secret from those outside of her family because her family were convinced that she could become the target for harassment from Christian fundamentalists in her Fraser Valley community. Uh, this lady commented that, I think there's a lot of misconception. It's not like someone sits in a lab and takes a little takes a little of this embryo and a little of that embryo and then puts them together. It's just creating a beautiful baby. They're not taking special traits from anything or, or injecting them. It's literally just testing my body. It's testing my body would have created in a natural environment, but mine's created in a Petri dish. I'm not ashamed to say that my babies were created by IVF because if it wasn't for IVF or CCS, I wouldn't have a family. And the last week, 
What do you think of a child care center that requires parents to sign a statement of moral standards? Well, there's one such place in Chilliwack. High Road Children's Center requires that all parents placing their children in the center sign a parent commitment. That commitment covers issues such as discipline, financial responsibility, spiritual guidance, and moral standards. Under subsection moral standards, parents or guardians are asked to agree to the following. We respect the moral standards of High Road Children's Center. High Road Children's Center does not tolerate profanity, obscenity in word or action, or disrespect to staff and leaders. The center's conviction is that the Bible is the final authority on all areas of morality and sexual purity, which including an understanding of a covenant marriage between a man and a woman, is the only acceptable standard for express standard for sexual expression. So while we fear the invasion of an Islamic fundamentalist to our corn-fed community, we're actually breeding another group of radical fundamentalists right under our noses. Children raised to distinguish right from wrong, black from white, and gay from straight, all according to the final authority of the Bible. Do I hear an amen? Nah. I hear horse pucky. Take care, guys. Talk to you next time. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm in your mic, actually. No, I, I control the volume. I control it all. <laughs> oh, he's muted me at last. He keeps threatening, but he's yeah, actually... You're so threatened. loud now. I'm going to mute you again. <laughs> well. You have some brand new music. You guys like it so much? <laughs> I hope so. everybody's enjoying it. So this is the point where you're not supposed to have said it. I was just about to say something, and then you started to say something. And <sighs> Go ahead, this is Mark. Why it's no, to you, Karen. Go ahead. <laughs> so what do you think of the whole dying, dying with dignity question, Mark? I'm on the same page as you. Um, it's difficult to, for me to know where to draw the line there. I think as we were talking about off-air, mm-hmm. should people who just don't want to live anymore have the choice to end their lives? But I think you'd say no. I would say no to that, but I think you'd say yes. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I haven't. Um, but if per- if a person can no longer see the point in continuing, I'd like to see them get some treatment, some therapy, and if they still felt that way, mm-hmm. then why not? Well, I guess, yeah, it's an interesting question. If you if, if they've gone and they had therapy and they've tried whatever, all the options, and, and they still feel that way. But I guess my, my um, response to that is then they don't necessarily have to have a doctor-assisted dying, although that would certainly probably be less painful and potentially yeah, I horrible. Yeah, so. I think so too. I think if they want to, there should be somewhere they can go and hmm. it's interesting. end it in comfort. Now why are you guys looking at me when you say that? <laughs> it's just something we were talking about before, don't you worry. You guys are trying to pull the plug <laughs> on me, aren't you? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Just, I, just sign this, don't Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was the last show with Kevin at the host at uh, Left of the Valley. Next week, it's going to be the Mark and Karen show. <laughs> <laughs> I will be suspiciously gone. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess the, the legislation would have to would have to define all of that. And, yeah, it would. And those things are unknown at the moment. Yeah, but you got to start somewhere. Exactly, and that's right. That's another thing. It's not written in stone. If you have to start somewhere, and then you can modify the law as as you know as you live with it and as you see what works and doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so I got one online. Uh, this is uh, online. The clip is online. It was uh, pre-recorded. It's about uh, 24 minutes long. Oh, we should just say, just so this doesn't seem like, you know, we suddenly filled up the studio with different people. We pre-recorded this, but we had our friends Robin and Vern here at the time. So That's right. We had uh, people from Natural Selection here if, with us. So if you hear voices that don't sound like ours, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I play this now? Can you? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'm playing. You may. <laughs> All right, and we got Wanda Morris here with us. Karen, you want to introduce her, please? Well, um, Wanda Morris is the CEO of Dying with Dignity Foundation, which is a natural, natural, sorry, national member-based charity committed to helping people achieve quality in dying. Welcome, Wanda. Thank you so very much for having me. Hear that, Wanda? They love you here. They love you here in BC. <laughs> How long have you been here in in Vancouver? Uh, well, I my home is in Vancouver. Oh, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I um, have been doing this particular role for just over four years now. Uh, our national office is in Toronto, so it's a bit of a nasty commute. But uh, I love living in Vancouver. I love what I do. So for the moment, I do both. Oh, excellent. Well, I guess the, uh, the big news with dying with dignity is the um, the. We'll let you take the lead on this, Karen. We're just going to look at you and stare and stare at one at the same time. And well, you you uh, <laughs> hired uh, Ipsos Reid to conduct a, a poll, a survey about Canadians and their support for dying with dignity, and you got some really fantastic results with that. Right. We knew that support among Canadians was really high whenever there is a statistically controlled poll. Uh, oftentimes a newspaper will just do a random poll and it'll get swamped by special interest groups, but whenever there's control over the the poll itself, the results are, are very positive, uh, ranging between 75 and you know the high 80s in percent in terms of support for physician-assisted dying. Our poll uh, was particularly good because we had wanted to capture support from the disability community. Often those who oppose assisted dying say, we oppose it because we're concerned about the weak and vulnerable. Uh, and and we knew anecdotally that the weak and vulnerable people with disabilities really support assisted dying. They want to have choice as much as the rest of us. We knew there was a UK poll that showed there were high results, but ours was the first time there was actual Canadian numbers. And what did we find? 85% of individuals uh, with disabilities support the right for assisted dying. Oh, that's excellent. And you got a lot of support even in conservative voters, which surprised me. I'm Maybe you expected that also. Well, again, that's another thing that we knew, but that we were really aware wasn't in the public domain. There's a... Uh, Often the reporting tends to show this as a you know as a controversial issue as something that's mm-hmm. you know deeply dividing Canadians. It's not. Canadians are really united in support. And when you have you know eighty four percent nationally, you've got to have you know significant support from all political parties. The Conservatives, people who intended to vote. Uh, federally conservative in the next election was a bit lower than some of the other parties. I mean, they were 77%, but yeah, I mean, that's a, Still that's a massive majority. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that our federal government gets elected with less than 50% of the votes, that's, yeah. that's huge. Yes. So so what what's really stopping these politicians from enacting these this, this kind of legislation, uh, according well, to you, anyway? Well, there's, there's a number of things. We, we've got... Um, a small but pretty vocal religious minority that takes information out of context and has been very effective at you know swamping polls and and basically lobbying politicians so that even though 
they're kind of 10% or less of the population that they carry a lot greater clout and and politicians are thinking you know oh you know I this isn't a win for me this is a loss I don't want to touch it I I think that has been the the case in the past and one of the reasons for our poll was to try to really change their awareness the public's awareness to say you know this this is a winnable issue I I think there's also, you know, legitimate concerns about, this is a complex issue. You don't just want to uh, strike down the laws as they currently exist and go carte blanche. We want protections. We want eligibility criteria and safeguards. Uh, And and I think we're starting to have that discussion now. But at this point, politicians have been swayed by, by sound bites coming from people with, I would say, with a different agenda and, and taking facts out of context and, and distorting uh, information about what's happened. Huh. It, it just sounds weird that, you know, politicians can be that clueless because, I mean, the, the, average, <laughs> the average person, the average person seems they can read the poll and see that, you know, okay, maybe there is a small vocal minority like ourselves and we, we can realize this. So how come the guy in, in uh, Ottawa can't figure this out? Well, and I'm, I'm hoping that that's changed. Mm-hmm. Because with with our poll mm-hmm. and and with the, the series of stories that have uh, come out over the last couple of years, where people have repeatedly said, "This is what I want," uh, the court case, and one of the biggest changes we've seen in the last year is the change from our medical professionals. Uh, in the past, doctors have been by and large in opposition to assisted dying, and now what we're seeing is that that's there's a, a much more of an even split, and the the latest uh, conference, the latest CMA uh, Canadian Medical Association meeting, the delegates voted 90% in favor of supporting assisted dying. Wow. Uh, so, and and just to be clear, supporting the right of physicians to follow their conscience and whether or not they uh, engage in physician assisted dying if it's legal. When we consider that the previous year. A, a motion that said we should discuss physician-assisted dying was voted down. You can see there's just been a phenomenal amount of change in this very short period. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. So in that um, model, if a doctor personally doesn't support it, then he would, but he had a patient who, who wanted to have a physician-assisted dying, would he then be able to refer that patient to a different physician, or um, he wouldn't be obligated to do it himself? Absolutely. You know, if, if we say we support choice, how can then we not support choice for physicians? Uh, different uh, legislatures around the world have chosen different referral models, whether you refer to another doctor or to an institution that then is responsible for finding another doctor. Uh, but, but certainly nobody is compelled to participate if they don't want to. Uh, we, we have a physician's advisory council uh, our advisors from the medical community at Dying with Dignity. At the moment, I think we have 29 physicians comprising that council. And there are a number of physicians on there who say, I, I wouldn't personally do this. Totally fine. We're not asking for people to, to do something they don't want to do. We're just asking them to, to support other people's right to provide the service and individuals' rights to have it. What, what, will have, what would have sparked such a drastic change as we have, like what happened to bring this on? To uh, all? You know, other than the fantastic work of dying with dignity. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dignity. for sure. And that's some part, but but what we know is that uh, when when people understand the story. 
and they, they, they feel a connection. And in this last year and a half, we've worked really hard to try to bring those stories forward. I think one of the ones that was most compelling was a physician by the name of Dr. Donald Lowe. Uh, and for folks in BC may not know him as well, he was very well known in Toronto as the face of the stars case. He was this mm. you know, highly respected doctor that came on to the television nightly and talked about SARS and you know, diffused public concern. He got brain cancer, and he taped a video of himself. Uh, it ended up being filmed about eight days before he died. And it was a plea to other physicians to say, you know, if you were trapped in my body, you would, you would support assisted dying, and it's time to change the laws. So I think like often appeals to like, and that appeal from a highly respected physician to the physician mm-hmm. community was very strong. Yeah. Uh, as, as well, we've had Gloria Taylor, of course, from BC, mm-hmm. um, with the case of Jillian Bennett, mm-hmm. Susan Griffiths, mm-hmm. Maggie Morcos, Cindy Cowan, Eric mm-hmm. McGinnis, just numbers of people who have come forward and, and been willing to share their cases in the media, their stories in the media. Kim Teske is a woman with Huntington's who recently starved and dehydrated herself to death, uh, and she shared her story. So these people continue to come forward, and and other people say, "Wow, you know that's uh, wow, that's you know, that just shouldn't have to happen. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't have to. It's we it, we have come so far in our medical um, knowledge that sorry medical science." The medical science, the medical abilities to seemingly keep people alive for hmm, huge long time, you know, it and it goes beyond the point of where they want to be alive anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got a quick question. So, so what is the status of the whole dying with dignity movement in Canada right now, as we speak? So we've got uh, right now. It is illegal to assist someone to die. There, there are two ways that physicians can assist someone to die. One is by prescribing medication, mm-hmm. and the other is by administering the medication or overseeing someone to administer it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, none of that is legal in Canada. However, uh, there's there's three things uh, that are going on. One is the uh, Quebec has passed a law. Yeah, it's called the Bill 52, an act respecting end-of-life care. And it is scheduled to come into effect by the end of this year, by December of this year. Now, it's under a court challenge, so whether it will survive the court challenge. But if it does, then Quebec will have a physician-assisted dying. Uh, In the Quebec terminology, is medical aid in dying. A physician will have the right to administer a medication to end a patient's life. Uh, if that patient, and then, you know, this isn't just a free for all. This is subject to a whole series of, of both eligibility criteria mm-hmm. and then safeguards. But for people that are at end of life, suffering unbearably, seriously and incurably ill, they will have that right if they are in Quebec. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's one significant piece. The next is that there's a court case that started right here in BC. Uh, Gloria Taylor, Kay Carter were two of the women involved. Uh, they t- uh, they both have now died, but they asked for the right to have to die. And that case was heard by the Supreme Court of Canada in October of last year. And we don't know when we will hear the decision, but when the decision comes down, it could strike down our current federal provisions so the current criminal code that says it's illegal for physician-assisted dying, uh, 
and then probably with some sort of time frame, say within you know a year, that um, that those will no longer be illegal under certain conditions. So, so we've got a court uh, uh, decision coming down. We have a provincial legislation in Quebec, and then we also have two very similar uh, federal bills. Stephen Fletcher, who is uh, the fellow the MP from Manitoba, who's a, a quadriplegic, so he's paralyzed from the neck down, mm. and he uh, he introduced uh, two private members' bills to uh, legalize assisted dying, and then when those didn't go very far, he actually approached the Senate, and two senators uh, introduced similar bills, again, that legalized assisted dying, and, and in all cases, whether it's a court case, the Quebec case, or the Senate, or the, the uh, private members' bills, they all allow, with you know, specific eligibility criteria, an individual to uh, a doctor to administer medication to somebody who is suffering unbearably. Mm. That's fabulous. That's real progress. And I think it's important to note that th- we're not the only country who's doing this. It's legal in other countries. And you had some interesting statistics about, um, I believe, in the Netherlands when they actually enacted these laws. It, it is legal in 10 jurisdictions around the world. Quebec will be the 11th, and by jurisdictions, either countries or states. Uh, and as much as, as we, we see the press and we see people you know, dying horribly and wanting this, it doesn't mean that when jurisdictions allow this, that suddenly the door is open and wow, everyone is being uh, assisted to die. The, the numbers vary less than a percentage of deaths in Oregon around 2 to 3% of deaths in the Netherlands. There's a, essentially based on the, the breadth of the criteria. Uh, in Oregon, you have to be terminally ill, which they define as having six months or less to live. Mm. And you can receive the medication, but you have to take it yourself. So if you had you know, late-stage ALS or Huntington's disease or something, or cancer of the throat where you couldn't swallow, you wouldn't actually be able to access the remedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Netherlands it is uh, follows more with the, the rules that Canada is pursuing of the idea of you know the prescription or administration. So you don't have to be able to to uh, go when you can manage it yourself. The other kind of difference between the two models is the um, it is the the degree you know of closest to death. Uh, Quebec said it's for people at end of life, uh, and the terminal illness in Oregon six months or less to live. Conversely, in in uh, the Netherlands, for example, it's it's a broader criteria of uh, incurable illness, unbearable suffering, uh, no remedy that's uh, tolerable to the individual involved. So it could be somebody uh, that's not at the very end of life, but rather their quality of life is gone. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a question relating to that, because um, the biggest thing you hear, uh, people against it, it's obviously usually re- religiously mo- motivated, but it's always about, well, you know, what's stopping guy X from uh, getting grandma to commit yeah. suicide early so he can get his money? Now, seriously, I know. I, I, how realistic is that? How, how does it really happen? Uh, it's never. I mean, we we have a fix. So if if physician-assisted dying is legalized in Canada, as is proposed under these various scenarios, it's always about the individual requesting it for themselves, and and requesting it repeatedly with witnesses and multiple doctors involved. So, and of course, being seriously and incurably ill, so having ALS or, you know, advanced stage uh, cancer. 
so for somebody to try to use this as a way to to um, get their inheritance early, I mean, they'd have to fake the disease. They'd have to, uh, you know, find doctors that were willing to compromise themselves. They'd have to get, you know, or they'd have to get the person to ask for assisted dying when they didn't actually want it. I mean, it, it just it's not a scenario that could happen, mm. uh, and it hasn't happened anywhere. What we have seen is that in some instances, we say, okay, we want this for a very you know narrow scope. So somebody with uh, terminal illness, you know, six months left to live, uh, and they have to be able to take the medication themselves. That's, for example, the Oregon model, or or Netherlands, you know, unbearable suffering. Sometimes over time, we have seen in a few incidences that narrow narrow scope slightly increase. Uh, for example, in Belgium, after 10 years of saying this is only for competent adults, they changed it and said, okay, if a, if a person is a mature minor, so they are you're probably 16 or, 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 or older and are able to give informed consent and they're suffering unbearably and their parents' consent and their health team consents, then they too can have assistance to die. Uh, so people will look at that and say, oh, see, you know, once it starts, it's out of control. But there's a, there's a huge difference between living with something and, and then tweaking it over time and then the difference between someone saying, I want it, and someone else being able to say, no, you know, we should be able to kill grandma in their bed. Mm-hmm. So for all intents and purposes, it does not happen, is what you're saying. So what I'm saying is that we have a word for that. It's called murder. We have laws to <laughs> prosecute. Uh, you know, laws can never prevent things from happening. You know, we still have murders. We still have people speeding on highways. What laws do is they, pro- you know, they protect by um, providing a remedy. So, you know, someone could murder someone else, but we have laws, uh, and they would be prosecuted, as has happened you know, well, we, we haven't actually seen anyone try to do this in other jurisdictions, but if it did, they would also be prosecuted. Nobody is uh, legalizing murder. Excellent, excellent. And that kind of leads me to something else. On your website, um, you have a great website full of information, and you have the Advanced Care Planning Resource Kit, which actually helps people to express their views before they die, before they're in that position. So can you tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, imagine that, you know, and you sound fairly young, and like many of us, uh, dying is hopefully a long ways in our future. Yeah, she's but 23. <laughs> but anyway, go. go ahead, go ahead. Um, so, but imagine that you were in a car accident or, you know, just had some kind of rare disease and suddenly you went into a coma. Would you want to be kept alive in a persistent vegetative state? You know, for the rest of your natural life, which could be decades. No thanks. And and, uh, and so then the question is: Have you told anyone that? Have you written that down? Because our hospitals, actually, there are people there that are being kept alive for decades in the persistent vegetative state because they've never had those conversations. Mm-hmm. The default of our healthcare system is always to treat. And and it makes sense. I mean you mm-hmm. want to be treated when you go to the hospital. But sometimes there are circumstances where we don't want to be treated. Uh, I, I use the one of the persistent vegetative states. I think many people like myself would say, you know, no, if my brain is liquid Pull the plug. Pull the plug. Uh, if we're closer to end of life, the, the situation.
situation may be uh, there may be even more circumstances where we don't want treatment. If I'm, you know, uh, Pierre Trudeau is actually a very good example. He is a former Prime Minister of Canada, and he um, had been diagnosed with dementia, and then he was diagnosed with cancer, and he chose to refuse the treatment for the cancer because he didn't want to recover from that. Only then to live with decades for decades with dementia. And, and anything that we can legally do, which is stopping or refusing a treatment, we can also do through that advanced care plan. So it's really critical, no matter how old we are and how many decades into the future you know, our death is likely to be, just to, to make a few notes on that to say, yeah, you know, for example, if it's our wish, you know, if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, please do not you know, continue to provide artificial nutrition and hydration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those you, you mentioned those are on our website, and thank you for those lovely comments on our website. Well, please plug in the website. This is your chance. Plug it all. Okay, <laughs> so dyingwithdignity.ca. We have a, a, a free download of an advanced care planning kit by province. Uh, mm-hmm. So really encourage people to go download it and then you know, have a conversation, complete it, uh, and and talk to those that you, you love. Mm-hmm. We we talked about you know, one of the best Christmas presents you can give your parents. Mm-hmm. It's just having an understanding of, of what they want. Best time to have the conversation when there's no reason to have the conversation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if people say, oh, I don't want to have a conversation with dad now, you know, he's pretty healthy, he'll think I'm after his money, you know, and then, yeah. oh, well, dad's really sick right now, we don't want to have a conversation, he'll, he'll think we're, you know, we're <laughs> going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Now is the time to have the conversation. Yeah. And I do, I do agree. You do have an amazing website. I've been there and checked it over. <laughs> it, it is beautiful. She just yeah. made a nice little face. There. I wish you could have seen that. Oh. <laughs> she just made that big smile. And everything. You made yeah, her day. So what's one next? One we just put on the website, uh, which I'm really quite chuffed about, is a, a, a matrix table comparing the legislation in all of the, the jurisdictions where it's currently legal against the various uh, proposals in Canada so people can take a look and say, okay, what is the eligibility criteria? What are the safeguards? Because often what we find is that, that people who are opposed to legislation they have no idea what is involved in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they think it's just, oh, I walk into a pharmacy and get some pills. No, mm-hmm. it's not like that at all. So I really encourage people to, to check that out. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. So so what's next for the uh, Dining with Dignity Society? What's coming up? What's in your books for 2015? You guys well, we are, ahead, are now, now waiting for the Supreme Court decision. Uh, so it will be very interesting to hear what comes down with that. Uh, the Senate have uh, received the bill that was tabled, so we'll be um, trying to inform senators about the reasons why, why they should support it, uh, give them information. We will uh, continue to be a, a reference for anybody who wants to, to research the case of assisted dying, why, why it should be legalized. Uh, and, and a big plan for us this year is to try to increase the amount of uh, the number of individuals that have advanced care plans. I mean, in BC, the number is somewhere around 20%. So that means 80% of people that you know end up in life-ending situations don't have a plan. Have you know, mm-hmm. and, and some of them may have had a conversation, but the, the chances of, of them then getting you know really aggressive treatments they don't want. It, quite unfortunate. So we want to do a big push on that this year. Yeah, I was speaking to a nurse and, and she worked uh, with elderly patients and she said 
very often the care continues way past what the patient themselves would like, but their family is just not prepared to let them go. And I think if they had that kind of plan in place, then uh, it would make it easier for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. yeah, you're spot on. And and the thing is that that's not just that doesn't just happen. That's a conversation that happens over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 you know, a doctor can be put in a difficult situation too. And if they have mm-hmm. a patient that says. Don't uh, you know? Do not resuscitate. And the family is standing over and saying, "If you don't resuscitate my father, I'm going to sue you." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, that's not really a fair thing to do to our healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. So you know, know what you want and have the conversation with your family too. Yeah. 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 Okay. So one more time, please, for the audience, where can they find you? Oh, well, they can find us. So dyingwithdignity.ca is our website. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I have a Twitter account, at WandaDWD, and we also have our at DWD Canada Twitter account. Uh, and we have a, a very uh, thriving Facebook page with, I think, 35,000 likes for DWD Canada. So wow. join the conversation. Follow us. Check out our website. Love to uh, have have people support. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, thank Wanda. You we appreciate much. your time, and we know you're a busy person, so I guess we'll let you go. And good luck in 2015 with all yeah, your projects there. Thank year. you very much. Lovely yeah. to speak with you. Thank you. And that was Wanda Morris, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, she was lovely, wasn't she? She is lovely, intelligent, kind, and articulate lady. Really enjoyed speaking with her. Yeah. You know, you, you looked at her, and the first thing I wanted to say was, oh, do you have any big pie for us? You know, she was so sweet. Well, it's true. She, was she is very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Mark's rolling his eyes over here. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't say I blame him. <laughs> he, he, he's British. That's what they do. They roll their eyes at you. Of course we do. <laughs> Thank you, Mark, for rolling your eyes at us. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I have to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. He's actually he's getting up. <laughs> God save the Queen. I recorded that one just for you. She's your Queen, too. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forget. You forget that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that takes us to the end of our show, I guess. Yes. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here. And uh, thanks for having me here. And thank you for Nancy. Thank you. Nancy had to leave early, but thank you, Nancy, for being here while you could. We appreciated having you both. Yeah. And uh, join us next time. We should be uh, having an interview with Damien Gillis. Uh, we should be talking about the LNG programs and stuff like that, so that should be interesting. And uh, like I said, uh, we'll be soon, soon, not soon enough sometimes, on CIVL 101.7 FM, and uh, keep an eye out for us there. So until next time. An ear out. An ear. Not an eye. (laughs) (laughs) At which point my mic gets muted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, where's my... Oh, I anyway, can't even find my music anyway, theme anymore. Listen for us on CIVL. We'll keep you posted. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who happens to be listening now. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good night. Good night. Till next time.